We're going to get started again and get into our question and answer part of the program. The good news is that we've got sound. The bad news is that I've appointed myself the government regulator in Alberta for sound delivery and you all owe me an extra $30 for the sound. And it, you can please plug your ears if you don't want to pay that. Uh, this afternoon, today, SACP is holding a session at the Foster Penny, the James, Foster James Penny building downtown on 5th Street. And it's thriving with schizophrenia and dealing with mental health issues and addiction, illness, mental health illness and addiction. What are the issues? So 3 o'clock, if you'd like to attend that session, next week's SACPA session is helping vulnerable people recovery, recover. What does success look like? Poverty-stricken street people, etc. So that's our topic next week. I'd like to ask the uh, speaker, Joe, to uh, come up here and anybody that has questions, the microphone's over there. If you could keep your questions short and then return to your seat after asking them so we don't get into a debate at the microphone. Um, and I think that's about it. We'll just have a few people set up and uh, ask Joe anything you'd like to ask and we'll find out how we can fix this situation. Thank you. I'll ask the first question. I come to things like this, and my husband's had his blood pressure up for several years about our, the prices, and I get more discouraged at the corruption and the dishonesty and all the problems, and it feels quite hopeless to me. So how and what do we do? I can tell you what I do. It, to me, it's about getting information out, getting the facts out. And sometimes I feel pretty alone doing it. Uh, I got myself elected once, and there's a whole group of people, or and actually there's quite a few industry members who would like to make sure I never get elected again. Um, I think I'm done with politics, but it is, it's a political solution we're looking for. And, um, It's about awakening the public. Now, the interesting thing is, as our economy has dropped and is in a dire way at the moment, believe it or not, more people are willing to listen now. Um, if things were good and everybody's making money, nobody cares to listen. But right now, we have a problem, and it's going to continue. And this is our opportunity. That's why I took this opportunity to come down and give the short presentation. Um, it's about getting our public informed, so we get our MLAs informed, or get a different MLAs elected. Uh, I know there are people in here who uh, are party people. I am not. I don't believe in political parties anymore. I I'm done with political parties. I I'm not against them existing. I just don't think they should be involved in putting up candidates in our, in our elections. Um, they prevent a lot of good people from running. The, the whole dirty party politics thing. And I, I can go long about that. But it, it is about the public awareness to me is what we can do and get that message out there so we can make the political change. Because right now what we have is a government 
that works very well for industry, but not for the public. And people need to wake up to that. Um, hi, my name is Pat, and I came to this, uh, was interested in this because of my last power bill, which was $45 worth of electricity for a $134 bill. So my question to you, and I have four of them, but I'm gonna come up with another one. You had mentioned earlier to speak to our MLAs. What question should I be asking of them? Have you ever spoken to Joe Anglin? I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Um, the, the real question is, why am I paying all these extra fees? I mean, that's, that's your first question, because they can't answer it. They don't know. And then that you have to follow up and say, that's why you're, this is your job. You got to know. You absolutely have to know. You have to start questioning these people, and I want to reply back from you. What have you done? Because it, what I was going to do for this presentation, I decided not to. I, I went and I got a utility bill from BC, Saskatchewan, and Ontario, so I could show you compared to Alberta. Now, the closest one I have to Alberta is downtown Toronto, where the cost of electricity and the extra costs are about 50-50. But in Alberta, almost continually, it's 200%, 300% more than the cost of energy. And if you're rural with a sizable operation, it can be eight times your cost of energy. Hi, Colleen Quintel, and I have to profess that I understood very little about what you said, but I understood enough that I have some questions and there are some things that I can take away from this. Uh, one is, who are the purchasers? And you talked about they purchase electricity. Um, I'm not sure who the they's are that are, that are bidding for this. I, I'm assuming that they're private um, energy delivers, but um, I, I just would like to hear from you as to who actually are the big players. And, and secondly, a few years ago uh, when we lived in North Lethbridge, um, they built um, huge transmission lines through Legacy Ridge and down, and actually the, the sub, subdivisions are formed around the transmission um, lines. Um, they held co um, consultation processes, but if I'm understanding you correctly, and I need confirmation on this, they were for show um, that the legislation that you showed us the pieces of today actually said that it wouldn't have mattered what happened out of the public consultations, they could go forward with them if they wanted to? Yes, and not only that, that's called the Mattel Line, the Montana-Alberta tie link that you were going to hearings on. And there was quite a controversy over that line because initially, the hearing at the EUB, they said, since that's an import-export line, you have to go to the NEB to bring your concerns. So when the citizens went to the NEB, the NEB said, sorry, too late, you should have brought that up with the EUB. And I chewed out, the, when I ran into an NEB uh, regulator, I let them have it both sides at a public hearing. Um, to me, that was an affront to our democratic process. That system right there, what they did was just absolutely wrong, what they did to those property owners. And um, everything that you pay for, in my view, my personal opinion, should be in the consumer's interest, in Alberta's interest, in the t interest of taxpayers. 
it, and I'm no, I can't define what that interest is, but it's about the betterment of all our communities. And that has to be the primary focus of all our regulation. So if you want to tell your MLA what needs to be done, those laws need to be changed so that the public interest is not just mentioned arbitrarily, it is the primary focus of our regulation, that it is the top priority. Everything that we approve, we do it in the interest of the public. Mike McKaig, could you comment a little bit on these boards? Like recently we've had uh, in the news that the uh, UCP has kicked a bunch of people off boards that were appointed by the previous government. Uh, is this, these boards that are dealing with electricity, has that happened with them as well? Yes, um, and it's a shame. It, it's incumbent upon any new government to come in and maybe flush out the system of top bureaucrats who are de designated to carry out policy in, in, in ministries. But the independent boards, the name independent, was to try to keep politics away from it. And conservatives do this much better than people, say, on the more liberal or left side of the spectrum. Conservatives will come in and actually infect the independent system, which are the, the boards that are supposed to run on science, they're supposed to run on basically a, a mechanized system of laws designated in the public interest and are not subject to political interference. We got talking about Kellen Flukiger uh, at a board hearing. He was the deputy minister of energy. And he came down to a hearing I was involved in and gave testimony at a commission hearing. Think about that. The deputy minister of energy who hires the commissioners is now giving testimony in ab advocating a project that they're expected to approve. There's no, you you got to get away from this political interference. And Kenny, in my view, is taking the, the Harper approach, which is all our political friends are going to be involved in this, and they get cherry positions, and that's what they get. That's where we're at. That's the system of corruption that needs to change. Dwight Perry. Joe, I heard you speak quite a number of years ago out of Coaldale, and the part that stuck all these years is that at that time, you said that there was enough power going by through the rivers uh, way up north, yep. and uh, that would supply enough power for Alberta. Uh, Fort McMurray would be the first customer, and what they would use would pay, would pay for the entire cost and that the rest of Alberta, in theory, could have free power. Now, I know, I hate to use this word, but I don't know what, what I'm going to use. Uh, the tree huggers get involved, and if you're going to harm a fish, uh, they won't let you do it. Now, with today's modern technology, I'll bet they could make ladders that would just, well, they wouldn't be ladders, they would be escalators for those fish to get them up to the next level. Is there any chance of that being a possibility in today's age, or is it even worse? Thank you. It, it, it most definitely is a possibility, and, and let me go back to your tree hugger comment, because I was a Wild Rose MLA. Yes. I got found out, and then I got kicked out. But um, I met with Greenpeace. They don't advocate at hearings or anything. Some people think they do, they don't. They generally drop down from ceilings and bridges and everything else to get headlines. And I made that proposal um, up at the Slave River region. 
there's more than enough resource there to power Alberta for the next 100 years. And we know that we did a study when, when I was on the um, Sustainable Resource Committee. Now, I asked Greenpeace, this is what we would like to do. And they said, well, we'd be against you. I said, I know that. I said, but what would you like? You want a coal or do you want nuclear? Or we can do hydro. And I said, I'm not giving you the option of shutting the lights off. So you got a choice. And I had them, you know, they were young. They were scratching their heads like, well, you know, that's not a bad choice. And you're right. Um, now, here's one of the problems we're dealing with. Renewable technology has advanced. It's advancing a lot faster than any of us expected. That's why I showed you the price. Um, if you go home and Google electric cars, and not what's on the market, but Google what they're working on, and this stuff is moving quicker than we expected. So I'm not sure a hydro project right now is economical, a massive one of that size, only because what we're seeing is renewable energy in different areas are moving along quite quickly. My own personal bias is towards solar. I think we're gonna develop solar. I think the appliances in your home are gonna re be reduced in its consumption, and you're gonna see better technology and the technology that they're developing for the electric car, when it gets to a certain level, you're gonna take those guts and you're gonna put them right in your house. And you're gonna be independent and off the grid. I, I believe, I see that day coming. And that's why you won't see a massive hydro development, I think, because the race is on. And when I travel, uh, I'm leaving here, I'm going to Vancouver, then I have to go to Boston. I try to count the amount, the amount of electric cars I see on the road when I travel. I can't count them anymore. And if you haven't driven a test driven a, an electric car, go do it. Go, go test drive a Tesla, you know, Tesla. And just for the fun of it. Um, it's pretty impressive. Now, I'm not in the market to buy one, but I plan on buying an electric car when it meets my needs. I am. I don't want to pay for ExxonMobil's CEO to have a benefit or a vacation on my dime. Terry Shillington, uh, thank you for your presentation. Although I confess I'm in the same league as uh, Colleen, your second questionnaire, I understood very little of what you said. Um, and just as an aside, I suspect one of the reasons more MLAs don't react to this and deal with this or advocate is because they don't understand the system either. Yes. But my question is, <coughs> um, uh, you made several references to free energy Yes. And I don't understand that in any way, shape, or form. Uh, it costs something, so somebody something to make electricity, so I don't understand why any quantity of electricity would be free. Let me explain why. And it's a, it's a nice little system that works against you. So let's say you own uh, windmills. And if you buy a windmill, you're paying about a million dollars per megawatt to build that windmill. That's what it costs you you bid into the system at zero every time. In other words, because you have priority as a renewable energy uh, to bid into the system for free. So you're in the merit system, you're in the stacking order. So if you're offered that one megawatt for free, you're not gonna give it away for free because whoever bids the highest is what you're gonna get. That's the rigged system. So the only reason you offer it for free is so you're guaranteed a spot in the merit order. Every now and then there's too many people who bid in for free and the merit order fills up. 
that stacking order fills up and it ends up at zero. And what the market system operator does is clear the system and we start over. And a whole bunch of people still bid in for free, but they're all trying, now they know exactly how much the ASO needs. All they want is whoever is offering that last megawatt is to have a decent price. That's all they want. So in the winter time, when we have a number of, and I'll, I'll use this as an example, because every hour people be, offer their electricity for free. And I think it was four years ago, we had four generators go offline all at the same time. Now, that's like having four flat tires driving between here and Calgary all at the same time for four different reasons. What is the, the statistical odds of that? Now, what happened was they shut off four generators and that last price came in at near $1,000. So those people who offer in for free get $1,000 a megawatt. So that's why they offer in for free. They get a guaranteed spot in the system and then they just keep their fingers crossed or if you're one of the major six players, you hold back, offer in 400 megawatts for free and you're holding back another 400 megawatts and you just want to get one megawatt at $500 and everybody gets paid $500. So what I'm, what I'm showing you is, it's a rigged system. That's why they're offered in for free. They're not giving it away. They know they're going to get paid. Hello, George. Thanks for coming back to Lethbridge. Uh, my question relates, uh, my name is Knut Peterson, by the way. Uh, arguably, if the price of power or electricity was higher, that would give people incentive to not use very much. So is there any chance that uh, all the electricity that you pay for is based on consumption? So they load all the service charges onto the price of electricity. And that way, people would actually be really motivated to not use very much. Can you comment on that? The actual consumption for residential consumers, if you look at the ASO website, has never grown. It's a flat line. And what that is, is you, when you buy new homes and new appliances, you're, even though you have computers and other electronics may be running, compared to 30 years ago, you're not using as much electricity. Your appliances are that much more efficient. So the average consumption in a household runs between that range I gave you, between 1,000 and 1,300 kilowatt hours a month. That, that's the average that consumers will use. Um, for the most part, I think there's no need for the incentive to save anymore because the incentive here is to make everybody independent. That's where the market's going right now. The market's going to where, and my bet is it's going to be solar energy, not wind energy. That solar energy is going to be powering everybody's household. Um, and we'll have either supercapacitors or some type of battery system in the house, not the current lithium-type batteries we see today. But if you check some of the batteries that are, are experimentation today, um, some interesting technology is, is looking right at us, and it's a matter of whether it gets developed and marketed. But you still have the service charges, which is often more than your electricity charge. Right. So if everything could be included in that, Yes, and that would be in a regulated system. So if you look at BC, their charges are all incorporated in the price of electricity, but they're about 
a quarter of what our price total price is. And it's the same with Saskatchewan. Um, the industry here was threatening to Rachel Notley. I don't know if you remember something deal with something called PPCs. Uh, those are the power purchase uh, contracts. That was a scandal in and to itself because they stole those PPC, PPCs from us. Th those were owned by you. And when we deregulated, they walked away with those contracts. And so what they were doing is they were using fixed contracts in this market bidding system. I didn't want to make this really complicated for you. So th they couldn't lose. And the day the NDP got elected and wanted to try to change the system, they told Rachel Notley, they said, well, if you want to re-regulate, you've got to buy us out. And my idea on that is, bunk. You stole those assets to begin with. How about we just take them back and put you out of business? Or we can negotiate how this is going to end. I think we could come up to, uh, I, I, would, I would deal hardball. I, I'm not interested in punishing them, but I'm not interested in their threats. And I've heard their threats. Um, we could put them out of business in a second. So I think they'd be willing to deal. Thank you, Ian Hurdle. Do you have any comments about the power lines built to the west of us here? And I'm understanding that they were SNC liable on cost plus, so they really couldn't lose. Yes. Um, what you have here was referred to the Southern Alberta, um, I'm trying to think what it was called. It, it was a 250 closed loop system that they built in tranches going around in a huge circle, starting up uh, from Medicine Hat going to Langdon, coming all the way down on one side, coming back through Southern Alberta, going over back by Medicine Hat and up. And um, everything is cost plus. And I believe it was Castle Rock that I came down and spoke to, which was quite interesting because they did the bait and switch, if I'm not mistaken. I was just looking at that not too long ago. They went and got a needs approval on a project, but what they presented to the public was completely different. And I, got, I, I caught them at that. And I, because I, when I was preparing to speak at Castle Rock, I was looking at the needs document, and then I was looking at what the landowners down there, the property owners gave me, and it, it was two different things. And I showed them that. I, I just kept going back between slides. I said, does anyone know something, notice something here? And it's like two, two apples and oranges. So it was a real bait and switch. So let me explain something. I had a career as an engineer in the phone industry. When I went to our regulatory board, I was scared. Because if we went in front of a regulatory board and our T's were not crossed and our I's were not dotted, the fear of the board saying, you're not ready, get out of here. I could lose my job. So we had to have everything ready to go in front of a regulatory board. If you've not been to a regulatory board hearing here, you need to see the difference. Altalink goes to the regulatory board with a needs assessment that is not complete. And it gets approved with the caveat, well, complete it. What a difference in the regulatory oversight. And that goes back to these laws I'm showing you. It's all in the favor of industry, and its primary responsibility should be you, your community, you as the ratepayer, you as the taxpayer. And we've got it upside down. And until we change that, that's what we have to change. Bev Mendel-Atherstone, thank you very much. You're a brave man. You're a brave man, Joe Engler. Um, 
We have 24 solar panels. We've had them for five and a half years. <coughs> we make more electricity than we use, yep. so we sell some back to the grid through an intermediary group called ACE. Yep. Um, I've been arguing with ACE for quite a while, telling them that um, since we're making the electricity during the daytime when schools, businesses, industry is functioning, they should be paying us more than they are. They should be paying us dollars per kilowatt hour, not cents. Well, it probably should be cents, but you're right about getting paid more. Um, and you can thank NMAX for that. Um, NMAX approached the PC government of the Redford government and made sure that the regulations would change to prevent homeowners who are producing electricity from really realizing the full benefit. But uh, it gets a little bit deeper than that. I can give you f more examples. So what we did is we had a system here that initially under the PC government, we were gonna allow homeowners like yourself put, to put solar panels on, and if you were frugal, you could actually make money. You could sell that electricity back into the system. NMAX got into a little bit of a twist over that um, because a lot of people in Calgary, particularly some small businesses got together and they were going out to and selling projects to homeowners saying, we'll put the panels up for you, you sell it into the system and this is what the prices will guarantee you. And they were actually skimming off the top, making money. And Edmax decided they didn't like that. There was too many people buying into it. So they approached the government of the day and they changed the regulations to eliminate that. They actually put out of business some of those companies right away on that contract chain when they, it affected the contracts. So what we have in this system right now is you have a set of rules and regulations that favor the big companies, about six of them. And if you're one of these small companies, you're allowed to operate, there's no question about that, but it's not, it's not favorable to the consumer. So you don't get to negotiate that. You're kind of limited on what you're allowed to get. Yep. Well, thank you. It appears I have the privilege of asking the last question of the day. Uh, and further to Ian's good comment or question about SNC-Lavalin, I listened to some of your podcasts on, on uh, SACPA's website going back over the years, and you'd mentioned that SNC captured AltaLink or purchased AltaLink for about $800 million back in the day. Yes. If I get this correct or incorrect, correct me, and marked it up, sold it to uh, Warren Buffett for several billion dollars. Yeah. Um, and we had originally paid for all of those assets and were paying at cost plus 9%. So is that the greatest robbery that we've ever had where an asset that belonged to the Alberta public got captured, taken over, marked up, and sold at a profit, and as a former police officer, is there a civil or a criminal breach of trust in that process, and should we be laying in information? What the government, <laughs> so a utility sells for book value. There's no um, other value to a utility. So you look at the total value of its assets, that's the price of the utility. So. AltaLink at that time was owned by TransAlta. Its book value was 600 million. If I remember correctly, ATCO bid about 610 to buy the asset. That would tell anyone in the market, there's a company that actually really wants to buy it. They're gonna pay a premium. Uh, SNC-Lavalin came in and bid 800 million. 
Who would buy a $600 million asset at book value for $800 million? It, it, that should have set off alarm bells. Now, what, how they justified it in this province is this. Since the transmission lines had been in place for 20 or 30 years, they said the public realized its full value. So in other words, it was fully capitalized. So it was now owned by AltaLink. There was no transfer or title or, uh, owned by TransAlta. And yet you paid for it, and they sold it. It's like, wh wait a minute, why doesn't the public own this? There was an actual Supreme Court case dealing with the liquidation value of an asset um, that I got confronted with at a board hearing once. I, I got real issues around that, but that's the justification in law, is that if the asset is fully capitalized, even though you paid for it, you don't own it. The company now owns it. Um, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with it. So that's how they were able to sell that for their own benefit. And I like to use the word, they stole it. They, this was a, a public utility, yeah, with private investors, but you, the consumer, pay for everything. And what we guaranteed them was a monopoly and kept them in business and gave them a guaranteed rate of return. Fair enough, but for them to run away with the asset, sell it on the open market, and then the whole concept of they overpaid for the asset, so how did they make up that $200 million? Well, you know how they made up the $200 million. You paid for it. I don't know how they got that into the rate base, but I'll guarantee you they did. And that's exactly what Berkshire Hathaway did. Boy, did that president of Berkshire Hathaway not like me. I, I sat with him in the room with Danielle Smith. It was quite funny. He did not like me at all. I didn't like him. Um, but he was ripping you off, and I told him so. I said, you're overpaying for the asset. Why? How are you going to make up those billions of dollars? And he wouldn't say. He said, I'm not saying that. I said, then it should be rejected on that. But this is, this is what we need to change. And it comes back down. Um, I actually put in for a board position just for the fun of it. I was actually in law school. And uh, the NDP was advertising for board positions, so I sent in my resume. And I got a letter back that said I wasn't qualified. And I had fun. I wrote them a letter back. I said, you can deny me for lots of reasons, but lack of qualifications, you cannot. I said, because I still have law firms calling me up on this legislation when they're dealing with it. And so I got a letter of apology, and they said, and we're not considering you anyways. <laughs> uh, I would be too consumer friendly, and I would be problematic on the board, I'm pretty sure. Thank you, Joe. Your presentation was great. I'd like to thank you for being here. If we could give him a round of applause for his effort.